Speak softly loud. Ladies and gentlemen, guess who? It's Johnny Russo again with Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And I'm loving doing the show. And we're getting response that you're liking it too. So again, let me introduce my partner in crime, literally, Pat Picciarelli, and this lovely young lady that we bring along with us, <laughs> Megan. She's our new gun mom. <laughs> Pat, how you been today? All right, everything's good. All right, all right. And I just now I have a question for you. Uh, I, I've always been interested in uh, organized crime history. Really, I didn't know that. You made your career out of it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, well, but maybe some other people don't know it. Anyway, uh, I know a lot about New York organized crime for obvious reasons, but. Uh, Outside the city, not so much. I don't know a lot about Chicago. I know even less about Vegas, unless, you know, the, the stuff we talked about in the book. But uh, a character that fascinates me is uh, Tony Spalatro, who was featured in uh, Casino, uh, played by Joe Pesci. I, I'm assuming, well, I know that you knew him because he's, he's in our book, but was he really, did, 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 did Joe Pesci portray him the right way? Joe Pesci must have lived with this guy. He nailed him. I mean, Joe really? Pesci's whole thing about that. You know, it's interesting because I had numerous conversations with Nick Pelleggi who wrote that screenplay. And uh, he knew that I knew him also. But I met, I met Tony Spilatro under the strangest pretense. I mean, we all know about the story when Liza and I, we were at the, uh, the Starlight Lounge with our good friend Frankie Bella, who was the maitre d', and he, he, even him, he comes from crime people. But everybody that had jobs in the casinos were either associated or have a friend or a friend. And so I was with my my best friend for so many years, Nick Nitty, which you know we got all this stuff going on with the Vatican Bank and all that. And Nick owned Nitty Travel out of Chicago, and. Nick used to bring a plane in, or two or three planes in, on a Sunday night. They were called junkets. And you put up so the much vapes. money, put them into the cage, and then on Thursday night, those people would leave and pick up the people that are coming, I uh, yeah, Thursday morning, Thursday night, bring those people to Sunday nights. So we had a constant flow of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So this was, I remember it like it was yesterday, this was like New Year's Eve weekend. You can't get a room in Vegas or nothing. And here, Nick says, I got somebody I want you to meet after the New Year's celebration. And I said, okay, who was he? He said, I don't want to talk about it. And he, he didn't look that enthused that this guy was coming. And I know, I know Nick very well. Maggie, calm down out there. Uh, that's my maid. She's uh, throwing, stuff, <laughs> throwing dishes at us. She forgets <laughs> we are on the radio. Thank you, please. <laughs> I'll send you back to Cuba. We anyway, love you. <laughs> uh, so um, what happened was, so you know we're recording live, you know that, in my house. And, and my house guests, obviously, Pat and Megan. But the thing is that, so we meet this guy, and... And he's like a John Gotti to me. That's all I could say because Frankie Bella, I can remember as I was on yesterday, 
Frankie Bella, who was the great lounge act, including like the the greats like Sam Butera and and all the guys with the Keely Smith and that whole group. There was a whole mecca of that anywhere we went. So we're there, and Frankie Bella is giving me all the accolades from The Godfather, and you know it's maybe three or four years after, and here comes this guy. Now, I thought he was sitting down, maybe he was in a wheelchair. That's how short he was. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> how short was he? Oh, no, he was like, no, I'm talking about 5'4". Okay. That's really? little. No, it's little for a man. That's why yeah, they yeah. called him the ant. <laughs> so now, he's got a crew with him, and I'm saying to myself, oh, my God, here we go again. Who are these guys? And they had a table, everybody's kissing his ass, mm. and I didn't realize... He is the new guy that, for some reason, Chicago sent him out there, and he was there, and he had a presence. They wanted him to watch Lefty Rosenthal. Now, the people who know the movie Casino, Lefty Rosenthal was the character that Bobby De Niro played. And I knew Lefty Rosenthal. Why, like so many other guys, get promoted in the mob is because they're big money earners. Lefty Rosenthal had to be one of the most renowned odds makers in the world. So when they put the sports books in, and the Stardust Hotel was the first casino to put sports books in. Hmm. And they're taking phone action all over the place. Plus, what most laymen don't know, major, major key city bookmakers sent the guy out to live in Vegas, to lay off the odds. Because sometimes, they and like Super Bowl, they're upside down one team to the other. Now they had a place legitimately to go lay off the odds so they could balance whatever. They're gonna get the VIG no matter what. Mm. And for the, our audience don't know what the VIG is, the VIG is the juice. You make a bet with me, I'm getting whatever it is, 2%, 3%. Because most people thought when they were gonna do OTB, these off-track betting things that are controlled by the state. They thought that was gonna eradicate bookmaking. Mm. What made bookmaking, and Pat made a career probably chasing a lot of us. <laughs> and, and, and placing a couple of bets. Yeah, and, <laughs> while you were placing bets. But <laughs> why it would never eradicate it? Because the bookmakers gave you credit. So you could bet all week, and Monday we'd square up. Huh. So, you don't pay taxes on your winnings anyway. That's right. As you do with the state. <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah. The state liked it because they were going to, you know, buy Excellent. more school buses, and which never happened. But long story short, here comes this guy, and just his attitude was so wrong. And I'm saying to myself, like Pat mentioned, like John Gotti, this is a secret society. This guy came in like he was Al Capone. <laughs> hey, you, wow, we wow. I'm saying, oh my God. Let and me ask you this before you get into that, Johnny. Why did they send him out to watch Lefty Rosenthal? What was Lefty Rosenthal doing wrong? Nothing. I don't think anything was wrong. I mean, I, I again, I knew Ricardo didn't like the idea. Sam Giancana was running the front of the of the you know the outfit in Chicago, Chicago as we all know they weren't called the mafia they were called the outfit, 
and they didn't want the association with the five families in New York. They wanted the association with the syndicate that runs all of it. And they were so much smarter, unfortunately, and fortunately, with the New York families, because look what happened to the New York families. They were almost eradicated. And, uh, but he went out there and he had a lot of muscle and he ran it like it was the 30s and 40s of prohibition. And they lost, he lost control. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But this guy, he demanded things. He was too open and very brutal, very brutal. And he came to me a couple of times for stupid things like he wanted a hundred slot machines in my new hotel. And I knew who he was and I had to respect where he came from. I'd say, listen, I'll give you anything you want, but you have to do what Nevada Gaming Commission wants you to do. Form a corporation, get three years of taxation. Then they, they are so more aware of what you're trying to do than what you're trying to do. They know how the mechanism is. I know how it is. That's why I'm here, I'm successful. I do not break the rule. I do not jaywalk. I don't do anything here. Because I have found an, an opportunity here that it's like robbing a bank with permission. <laughs> and he didn't like that. What do you mean? When I say I want 100 slot machines, I want them. I said, well, great. You know what happens if I take your money? I lose my business. And I ain't losing my business for you or anybody else. And he said, well, we'll see about that. I said, great. I said, uh, you know, all due respect, because I never talk to these idiots. <laughs> I said, all due respect, make some phone calls before you make any threats. Mm. And he did. And then he realized, they said, no, you, you gotta leave that guy alone. Because most people don't realize every casino in Las Vegas was run by a major crime family in another state. That's why there was never problems there. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything in Nevada. I mean, go to the Valley of Fire, Lake Mead, throw somebody in the water with concrete shoes, no problem. <laughs> Nothing goes down in Vegas. And it never did. Because, you know, had Detroit, had, had uh, the Riviera Hotel. Stardust was controlled by Chicago. I can go down the whole casino, I mean, the whole strip, and tell you what casino was run by what family. And that's how they did it. And that's why it was so organized, and they never had problems. That's why you could take $1,000 worth of chips from the Stardust and cash them at the DI. That was the local money without having real money. And that was how they were laundering thousands and thousands of dollars of mob money, drug money, and that this is that nuclear and that, that network was, I mean, I can't even understand the damage that this guy did and they allowed him to do it because he brought all the attention to it. Like Gotti did in New York. What Gotti did to the Gambino family can never be rectified, can never be what it was because he brought too much attention. Plus, I mean, in all, in all I mean, it's not just them and what they did, but today with surveillance and electronics, it's too sophisticated. I mean, I'd be doing life if I was 20 years, 30 years younger. <laughs> you can't do it. I mean, we didn't even have cameras 
when we were doing what we were doing. But he's doing burglaries too, right? Yeah, oh, everything. No, he put a crew. He brought his own crew, and he created. Was he sanctioned to do that? No, he just when they told him to go there, he thought it was his turf, and he disrespected everybody. In total, I mean, the guy he re really disrespect, and I knew this guy only had his days were numbered was Tony Accardo, because Accardo was always the boss of Chicago. He never stepped down. Sam Giancana wanted to be the show boss. Tony Accardo was the guy. And, and, then, and they used to call people in all the time saying, you gotta calm him down, calm him down, calm him. I mean, the, what you were talking about, he created a burglary crew called the Hole in the Gang. Because their system of robbing, they'd go through roofs, buildings, they were robbing strip malls, jewelry stores by creating holes. Hmm. So they were called the hole in the gang. <laughs> and they, I mean, they were, I mean, what they amassed. And we never had robberies in, in Vegas until he came. Duh, that's a news bulletin. Stop. They already know who's doing it. But he just kept going, you know. But he had a guy that I respect. I talked to him yesterday on the phone, actually, who was a brilliant attorney, Oscar Goodman. Oscar Goodman is like Jerry Chagall, um, um, every top criminal attorney in New York. You had a problem, you hire Oscar Goodman in Vegas. And he was, he was his attorney. And he represented him all the time and with the right counsel and the right influence. He walked on a lot of stuff, which only made him six foot tall now. And eventually, you know, when he started, I mean, I knew Lefty Rosenthal's wife. He met her. See, they put Lefty Rosenthal in. They couldn't even license him because he had a record. So they made him entertainment director of the Lido di Paris, which is the biggest review show in Las Vegas. That's where Siegfried and Roy was created. Mm. I mean, I knew everybody in this. I mean, I'm talking about, we're talking about the, the 50s, 60s now. And so I watched this whole thing happen, and I said, it's only a matter of time. And one of my closest friends, and I'm still good friends with his son, Gil, was a guy called Yale Cohen. See, most people don't realize the Jews and the syndicate were relentless. And if you want to look up how tough some of these Jews were, look up Louis Lepke, Louis Buchholzer. He created... Murder Incorporated with Albert Anastasia. We're talking about the history of the Jews are amazing, but they were so smart, they stood out of the limelight. Mm. I guess it's the ego of the Italians. Yeah, right. They're always <laughs> jumping in front of the camera. <laughs> and, and, and I remember Louis Bocal said, God, Albert, take the picture. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched this, and I mean, I was there, fortunately, in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I left in 89 when I closed my club finally. But even then, he wanted to come in my club. And he, once you, he got into the Black Book soon after he was there. The Black Book is something that the Nevada Gaming Commission created, and it's unconstitutional, but they beat that case even because most people don't realize and Pat, you probably don't even know this. Most people don't realize 
gaming was not legalized in Nevada. It was recognized by the citizens. Because if they legalized it, every state, me being an American citizen, why can't I do gaming? Mm. You have to have the majority vote of the community. Hmm. And that's why even now, as you see casinos expanding, they put it on the vote in November if you want to have gaming in New York or wherever. That's how it's expanded. Hmm. Did you know that, Pat? I know know it now. Yeah. (laughs) No, but so that was the whole thing. So with those laws, they beat the Black Book because the Black Book basically named undesirables and were allowed to. So you couldn't go with your First Amendment Act and I have rights as a citizen. Mm -hmm. You do. But in the state of Nevada, if you were a felon and you didn't register in the first 24 hours you were there just to say you were there, because that's the bylaws of the state of Nevada, Hmm. they lock you up. Really? Or they escort you to the airport and put you on a plane again. Wow. But that's how tight, and that's why it was running like a, 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 great, a great greased wheel. Right. Until this so maniac. Book, being in the black book kept you out of every licensed premises in the city. Yes. Right? Which How many was, people in that book? That I never knew. No, there was about maybe 20 through the whole existence. Yeah. And he, he made it right away. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, hello, <laughs> you're in the black book. So yeah. with that, it gave me great, you know, control of my club. And I had the only locked door club in Nevada, because you're not allowed to lock door lock a casino. Really? There is no doors on any casino in Las Vegas. No locks, rather. There's doors. What? And why they did that? That was part of the uh, the uh, articles of incorporating corporations. All the all the examiners and all of the casino. I mean the uh, gaming control members had to have access 24 hours a day. So they did that. So now I'm trying to run my club a little more locked in, and I wanted this as a speakeasy. And I'm the first licensed, on record. First of all, I'm the first Italian-American to have a gaming license, 100% owned by an Italian-American. Wow. In Nevada, <laughs> they would never allow it. Secondly- What was the name of this club? Uh, Gianni Russo State Street. and. Gotcha. Uh, it was, I mean, it's historic. In fact, I'm, I'm, pro, I'm proud to say, and I'm telling all of you at the same time, our listening audience, Pat and Megan, on April 15th, I'm going to Vegas to be presented at the Mob Museum, which it's an old United States post office, and the gentleman that I'm talking about right now, being the lawyer, Oscar Goodman, who then became the mayor for eight years, who then be, his wife became the mayor for eight years. They got the United States Post Office downtown to donate the building to them. And they made this museum, I've never seen it. They have a mob museum? They have a mob museum, which is great, because it's about Bugsy Siegel, about all the mob. Yeah. And why not go to Vegas and see this? That's awesome. But what I'm about to say, and you may think, why am I thrilled to have this? They, on the 15th, I'm going there for the 50th anniversary of The Godfather and our book. They're presenting our book. And they're giving me and presenting a presentation in September 
they're giving me my own exhibit. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. No, which I love. Everybody said, like, are you nuts? Yes, I am. That's really cool. No, so they're doing my first club, Tiffany's, at the Tropicana Hotel, which my landlord was Joe Kennedy, Frank Costello. Then I do this one, and they got all the crime pictures of when I shot this guy in self-defense uh-huh. for this lady, but it was Pablo Escobar, underboss. So they, they have the crime scene pictures with the chalking of the body. Oh my God. And they called me the other day, the, the I guess he's the couture uh, of the museum. What do they call it? I don't know people? what that term is. I don't either. Like, how about the guy who runs it? Okay, yeah, the guy, the guy who, who I was going to say that. The guy who trying, picks the art. I was trying to such. look for a bigger word. Uh-huh. He said, this is, why I, this is why I have two master's degrees. No, the, in, the interesting thing, guess what he said to me? Do you still have the gun that you shot that guy? Oh, uh, what? <laughs> they my want gosh. it. I said, I do. I have it. Do I'll you say, have it? Are you giving it to him? Well, why wouldn't I? That's awesome. I'm, I'm the weirdest guy in the world. I want to be in a mob museum. If I'm going to be mean, in a museum, why not be in a mob one? <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> but Spalatro destroyed that city in five or six years like nobody can. It's like John Gotti shooting Paul Castellano and his reign as being the boss destroyed one of the, the, the largest member body of a crime family was the Gambino family. The largest. Made guys. What's that? Supposed to be 2,000 made guys. Really? Yeah. And the, the, yeah, the biggest family in the country. Biggest wow. family and the biggest earners in the country. Hmm. But what did what did Spolaccio do to earn your uh, ire to do what he did to your home, which you I'm sure she'll get into? What pissed him off to that point? No, I, I just I just kept getting away with things. One night he came to my club, like three o'clock in the morning. I was open from twelve to twelve. I mean six to six, twelve hours. And he comes to the door, and we have signals in my club, and it was before radios and all that stuff, and we did it with lights. So they flipped the door lights, and I knew somebody's at the door that they didn't want to handle. Mm. So I would go over there with a couple of my friends, and it was him one night. He's a little drunk. And he said, Ruth, I'm coming in with my friends. Tell this idiot to let me in. I said, well, I mean, he can't let you in, and nor can I, because you're in the black book. Yeah, there's nobody here, nobody's taking pictures. I said, well, I'm not gonna blow my license for you. And I always knew the right thing. I said, Tony, out of due respect, I can't let you in. If you had this place and the tables were turned, I wouldn't come and jeopardize your license. I said, now go home. And I closed the door in his face. And I did this so many times. Oh my god. I can hear him banging cinder block walls outside. But he had nothing to do with it. But I always I always called it in. The next morning I called a Carter, not Sam Giancana. I said, you know, your friend stopped by, because I always took care of everybody. Mm. So I had the respect from a lot of people. I said, I just want you to know, this guy's out of order, man. How are you going to control him? And they watched him. I mean, what he did, I mean, he strung out what's her name's wife, and that's true. I forgot her name. I knew her as a showgirl. Then she became uh, Lefty Rosenthal's wife. In the movie, obviously, she was Sharon Stone, and they found her OD'd in a motel in L.A. Oh. I mean, Spalatro's reach was ridiculous. He strung her out. 
she started going out with him because he threatened her mm. and, and, and left her. That's why I, when I found out that Bobby De Niro's playing Lefty Rosenthal, I said, why? He was a rat huh. and a weak guy. I mean, they weighed him, they, weighed, they showed him. You know, it's like, you know, I'm saying like, why would you want to play that? The only guy I really liked the casting of that was John Travolta. Not John Travolta. Um, was it John Travolta? He wasn't. Are you talking about Don Rickles' character? No, 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 no. No, Don Rickles' character I love. No, that was uh, that guy. I love that guy. But no, I'm talking about in the Gotti movie. Who oh, play, yeah. Who, who played, who played, was John Travolta, wasn't it? Yeah, John Travolta played Gotti. Yeah, but I'm saying, that's the, it's the only casting I like. Because I don't care who's listening, John Travolta's gay. And I'm saying to myself, I love that this guy's playing John Gotti. He must be rolling over this gay in his grave. That this guy, not that I have anything about gays, but he was always this tough guy. And now they got this pansy playing him. I love it. I was dying, actually. Uh-huh. But uh, no, the Casino, for the listeners, and we're talking about basically the ruination of Las Vegas by this character called Tony Deanne, Tony Spilatro. And that, you know, what you mentioned earlier, he had it with me. And I, everybody in Vegas knew I had Sunday dinners. I love, I'm like I do here in New York. Right. I love Sunday dinners. And every performer in the world, you name them, came to my house, we had dinners, he came at two o'clock, because they had an early show, most of them. We had big lunch, pastas and all that. And they were all gone by 5, 5.30, because they had to be on stage at 8 o'clock. They were doing two shows a night at that time. Mm. And one Sunday, they came, and I, 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 I was always conscious of where I live and my security. And this house that I had was on a little knoll. Mm-hmm. And the knoll gave me that you had to shoot up. Nobody understood. I, I built my house up, so you had to look up to it. And uh, all of a sudden, and plus, what I did when I did the houses in Vegas are on a slab. Mm-hmm. So I, when I poured the slab, I poured the slab with concrete, reinforcement concrete, going up four feet to this windowsill heights. So if anybody's shooting me, it's in one foot of concrete, steel, <laughs> oh. reinforced. Because I was always saying, I'm, I'm making too much money, too fast, mm-hmm. there's too many jealous people. Well, as I had it predicted, <laughs> there's a Sunday afternoon, and here comes people that we know, because I found out Spalatro hired them. They shoot up my house. To shoot at your house? All, my whole family. Well, the kids, fortunately, in the back, had their own little dining room for that. Yeah. And the grown-ups were in the facing streetwise, it would be on the right-hand side. So he started shooting from the left-hand side, which was the living room. So it gave us warning enough to drop to the floor. Oh, okay. So they cut the house in half. Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't know how many shooters there were. I wasn't looking out the window. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't was do laying that. on the ground. So finally, you know, the last glass dropped, and the last plate, pitcher fell to the floor, and we get up, cars squeal off, but what they didn't realize, my neighbor in this cul-de-sac 
was Rex Bell. Rex Bell was the district attorney of the state of Nevada. <laughs> oh, oh my God. They had helicopters up because they didn't know it was my house or his house. Oh my And they goodness. captured these guys out of town shooters. Nobody gave up anything. That night, I flew to Chicago hmm. on the red eye and I was with Tony Ocado having coffee. I said, Tony, you know I've always done the right thing. This guy's out of control. And I told him, he said, I'm hearing so much stuff. They called him and his brother Michael into Chicago for a lot of reasons, not just me. They had it with this guy. But I think these last couple of incidents during that week, he was totally out of control. And what I feel bad about, and I know this to be a fact, he took his brother Michael, because Michael was the most liked. He was made, but likable guy. Mm -hmm. And Tony brought his brother to this meeting. I think he thought he was gonna get his wrist slapped and called back in, because he was a big earner. But they realized they couldn't control him no more. So with that said, they pick him at the airport, and they said they changed the meeting to Indiana. Hmm. And the in a cornfield, yeah. where you usually have yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. No, when they started getting to the, I, 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 I don't know the conversation, but I, I'm sure when they got to Indiana, there was only farmland. Hmm. They, they were starting to get the message. But the, the sad thing, because I knew one or two people that were there and witnessed it, again, in the true fashion of the real mobsters, they want to send a message to any of these other young kids who have this idea. Now, Tony Ocardo's nickname was Tony Bats. Because when he worked, he was an enforcer for, Kim, for Capone. He was a bodyguard with a guy you would never suspect in your life. He was 6'2", 6'3", Yale Cone, totally under the radar. But tough, he had hands like baseball mats. So long story short, the word was beat him up with bats. Beat him to death with bats. And they didn't, they, in fact, don't beat him to death. Leave him alive and bury him alive. Ooh. And they did. But what they did, that you had to be, obviously somebody had to be there to tell you this, and, and they captured it in the movie, which is interesting. They beat up his brother Michael first. So he could, all the people he tortured and beat up, Spalatro, uh -huh. he watched his brother beat to death. Now, they, they had the hole already dug. It was a big enough hole. So mm -hmm. they're down there and a couple of guys were in the hole with them. So they beat him right there, they didn't have to do anything. But then they started beating Tony. And when they beat up Tony Spilatro, the people that were there, they were buried in this hole. They were about six, seven, eight feet apart when they buried them, covered them. They were still alive. Oh gosh. When they dug him up, Tony Spilatro got to his brother. He was hugging his brother. No way. It was loose dirt, but this guy, every bone in his body, he got to his brother. That's the kind of heart this guy had. Oh. You couldn't kill this guy. And I mean, he died, obviously, but that's when you think about, I've heard a lot of crazy stories that's about insane. mob shit. This is like an insane story.
Yeah, that's crazy. And that's my story about Mr. Spilatro, <laughs> Mr. Picciarelli. <laughs> An interesting story. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it was so crazy what was going on, and everybody. I mean, I, I met with every major guy that was there, Nick Donofo. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm mentioning these guys because they're all dead, but everybody that was around this was saying like, "Why is Chicago allowing this?" Because that was it. That was their thing. But he went way out of the realm of everybody else. With Even Raymond Petriaca, he, he controlled the dunes. And uh, they all had, St. Louis had the Aladdin Hotel. I know every crime family which hotel they had. So and, you think, because uh, you, you emphasize that uh, these guys that were shooting up the house knew you where you had your Sunday sauce dinners at the right side of the house. They specifically started on the left side of the house. They didn't really want to hurt anybody. They wanted to send a message, correct? I, I don't know that, to be honest with you. No? I don't know that. I, I'm yeah. hoping that was it. I don't know. But uh, how do you know? The, uh, they probably did know. But they started in the living room and did a drive-by, I guess, so they didn't have to turn around is how he looked at it. So I'm not, I'm not crediting him that mm. they didn't want to hurt anybody. But thank God nobody got hurt. But nobody thought about how are you going to shoot a gun from a street where my house is five or six feet up the ground. I always thought this. That's why I built it on a knoll. So when you're shooting, you're a cop. That angle, I don't care if you're using machine gun rifles or whatever. Yeah, the bullets are going to go to the roof. roof. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but it was the wrong message. <laughs> See, yeah. other people, when they build a house, they're worrying about their lawns. Right. Gonna leave. You know, maybe a little bit of a security system, but... <laughs> Why do you think about the, tra the trajectory of bullets? You know, this is a perfect place to build a home. <laughs> well, you know what's so funny about that? Because uh, my last house, which was in Westchester Estates, and I love this house, I built an English Tudor in California, right off of Mulholland Drive. 10,000 square feet. Mm. It was insane. It was already an established house, but I looked at it and I had these ideas. So I brought these people in and it was already on a knoll, so I liked that. Mm -hmm. And then I had four car garage and I told the, uh, my designer, and he, he, in fact, he quit everybody and he stayed with me for years. And he built my house and I said, we have to resurface the tennis courts in the back of the koi pond. He said, no, they're in good shape. I said, no, I want to resurface them. <laughs> he said, okay. And then there was a new ordinance because all these forest fires in, right. in California where you had to create a wash, like a truly break from the greenery to your property. Oh, okay. So the ordinance was you had to do 10 feet. I said, let's make it 12 or 14 feet. The same. Why do you want to spend this extra money? I said, I don't want any fire. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're bringing in all these huge concrete, you know, in diameter. Right. They're 14 feet in diameter. They bring them in half because they only use the half of the water to wash and the, the growth. So now I'm doing my tennis court, and thank God it's a statue of a limitation. But <laughs> <laughs> so I said, when you do the tennis court, can we put a 12-foot pipe under, my, under the tennis court. They said, yeah, why would I want to do it? I said, I want to do it. 
I said, I wanted to go to the fourth garage. He said, why is that? I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried about attacks. I'm worried about, you know, this nuclear stuff, all this. I want to get my family out. So it was like a tunnel. It was a tunnel my car can go through. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's crazy. And all the FBI agents that are listening to the story, you are always wondering, they're watching my house outside the gates and all that. He's in a How tunnel. did he get out? He's in a I tunnel. I had a tunnel. The fourth garage, the garage door never went up. It went out the back under the tennis court through the water wash that took me to Mulholland Drive because it was a, a, a state wash. What? And I used to go anywhere I want. The last time I left, I, I went, I took a, a brand new Ferrari 380. I went to Joe Brown International Airport in the middle of the night. And I'm sure Coots and everybody's been chasing me forever. If they're alive yet, <laughs> I went there and I pull up, and the guy says, "You can't park this security guard." I said, "I can park here." He said, "No, you can't. We're going to tow your car. It's not my car." He said, "Whose car is it?" I said, "Yours." I gave him the pink slip for it. Oh my gosh! He said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Your car." I said, "I'm going through a bad divorce." <laughs> Screw her. This is your car. I gave him the keys. Never saw him again. Obviously. <laughs> then I go inside. I'm looking for Lufthansa girls. Alataya girls, and I had little, you know, debit cards, twenty five hundred, three thousand. Mm -hmm. Stupid thing. I never had a credit card. I don't want one. I still don't have any. So I said, go spend the money. There's not a lot on to have fun, because I knew people like Pat Picciarelli are tracking my credit card <laughs> right. spending. Where did he go? <laughs> oh my! In three days, I had a guy on the job in the DEA. We had him on the arm. He says, they, "You're done. Nobody knows where you are." So, of everything. And I had a sister, Joanne Latona, because she's married. Mm -hmm. She had X amount of my dollars. When I contacted her on a burn phone, <laughs> she had sent me a new phone, new credit cards under her name, and I even lived my life. <laughs> wow. That's you know, crazy. You, know, you, you ought to write a book. You know, I think, maybe I I will think that's it. a good idea. Pat, you got any free time? <laughs> I, I think I can squeeze you in. Yeah. Yeah. No, is that crazy though? That's insane. I think we should go to the mailbags. Go to the mailbags. Yes, I think that's a great idea. You have mail, of course we do. We're we do, popular. of course yeah. we have mail. Okay, so we have a couple comments, which is nice. Um, oh, one from Brandon Santos says, Gianni, I finished your book in less than 24 hours. I could you, not put it down. You must be out of work or in a cell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I could not put it down. Your life is amazing. Thank you to Valuetainment for having you as a guest on YouTube. We all have to do a shout out. Yes. Pat, Bet David. I mean, today our, to our total viewers are 304,000 people. That's crazy. If anybody listening to our podcast, go to his podcast. He gave me, I think, an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah, it was a little over an hour of, it's a YouTube yeah. video. Yeah. Um, Valuetainment. So, but, yeah, it was uh, awesome. You know, and, and, and with this also, with his comment, we have to thank my friend that's sitting here, Pat Picciarelli. He wrote the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't write my name. <laughs> sure you can. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, this one's a little, little bit lengthy, but I'll try to keep it short. This one's from Craig. So, Craig says, I'm, I, I believe he's talking about 
um, a previous podcast and he says, I heard you speaking with Patrick during during the podcast and you were speaking about how $3 million was overstretched by Bugsy Siegel and in his Vegas building days. However, you were distracted and didn't finish speaking about the reasons for his killing and more salacious details. Will you please expand on this story a bit? Well, I can do it right now, actually. He was the mob who put up all the money, Costello and uh, Maya Lansky. $3 million in the 40s was a lot of money. And he thought he would do it his way. And they kept telling him no. And then when he opened, he opened on the worst weekend in the world, and they lost a lot of money. Mm. And only to know that they had a private bank account in Switzerland that they found out about. And like the character Mo Green in the movie, they shot him. Can I, Pat, Pat can I say the lady's name where he was? Washington, Virginia Hill. Yeah, I didn't know because I don't know if they so he you was know. at he was at Virginia Hills house mm-hmm. in Beverly Hills, and, his girlfriend. and yeah, his girlfriend who took the money over. Mm. So they shot him in the eye and killed him. Oh God! Rifles, no less. In rifles in her living room, and then she got the message and went and got the three million dollars out of Switzerland. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy! Put it back, yeah. Okay, well, I think that answers Craig's question. question. (laughs) uh, To to just add a little addendum here, uh, uh, Virginia Hill eventually killed herself, right? Right. Through suicide, yeah. Hmm. Oh, my. Okay, so there's one from, the name was left as Arima Dellis. I don't know if that's a name or a username or something. But they say, I am a JFK slash Onassis. Am I saying that right? Onassis? Onassis. Onassis researcher. Do you have any information on Onassis? Did you ever meet him? I definitely met him. I was at their wedding. I was there with Onassis when Rennie, he told Rennie, Prince Rainier, Uh to go to America to marry a princess or a movie star. And that's how Grace Kelly and him got together. He financed the reconstruction of Monte Carlo. He invested all the money Onassis did. And that's what made what it is today. It was Onassis. Wow. No, he's a genius. The only thing I, I, the one thing I had a problem with when Onassis tried to set me up with his daughter. <laughs> she should be twins, not to carry the burden alone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Richest, one of the richest women in the world today, though. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That's fun. These are great questions. Yeah, they are. All right, so there's one last one. And it's Basically, just a comment. Um, Pasquale Capozzoli, 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 Capozzoli says, "This is wondering how he could get an autograph from you." Says, "Sir, how would I get an autograph from you? You are in my all-time favorite movie scene, and would love to add it to my fa- famous Italian-American autograph collection." So, want to talk about the book signings? Yeah, go to book signings, or even come to. I mean, he could send it to us, or email us, and we can email us your address. And I'll send you stuff. Be my pleasure. That's awesome. Very cool. All right, so that's it. Just for opens the... up the floodgates, John. Yeah, right. Why not? Hey, let's go. <laughs> yeah, do it. No, I, you're, you're a very generous guy. Yeah, of course. So where so, are we? Perfect. Yeah. So should we wrap it up for for this I, episode? I think so. Pat, what sure. do you want to say? Anything else? 
Oh, I'm, uh, I was hanging on your every word. A lot of these stories I know, me uh, as well. were, were even new to me. Yeah. Well, that's what's going to happen the rest of our lives. <laughs> I, well, I took a deep dive into your life, but I, I never heard of some of these stories. And it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Book two. Book two, book three, two four, my five. And it's crazy. Yeah. You've had an answer to everyone's questions so far. There's been oh, no, no one that stumped you, so. No, it's, this is not a quiz show. <laughs> it's my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it. we want to thank all of you for your time, and we we genuinely mean that because you know, uh, I want you, I don't want you to feel guilty, but you're very responsible for Megan having a career in the future. Oh gosh, so you, yeah, you, you better, you better, help better me subscribe. Out here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, Pat and I, we're gonna we're gonna go fishing. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all. Please subscribe, tell your friends, share it all. And again, the person asked about Patrick Bet David. We all appreciate what he did for us. 304,000 views as of tonight. That's amazing. They can, they can find him where, Johnny? Um, Valuetainment is his, his, yeah, his company, and so you can just look that up on YouTube. and Yeah, Valuetainment, and he has a, a very interesting people, uh, me being one of them, fortunately. I'm, I'm surrounded by, I mean, amazing people. But uh, me being very selfish, I'm very happy that we have now 304,000 views. Yeah, it's amazing. But it's very informative. And maybe from that you can send us more emails. Yeah, send we us more questions. Them. Absolutely. Until the next time, God bless you and be safe. Good night, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Email Gianni Russo with your questions, comments, and for information regarding his motivational speaking appearances to Gianni at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com. Email Patrick Picciarelli with your questions and comments to Patrick at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and visit Amazon.com for a listing of books he has written. I'm Megan Horan. I can be emailed at Megan at HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com and would enjoy hearing from you. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. But most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails. Good night.